0: All right, at this time we have a special guest preacher, and this is Brother David Eisminger. Did I say that right? All right, come on forward. and uh, He's a Wolverine, uh, he's from Michigan, so give him a warm welcome. Good to have you. Thank you so much. All right, well, it is a privilege to be here this morning. And if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Psalm, turn to the 23rd Psalm. Uh, it's primarily a privilege to be here because of this beautiful weather. I am absolutely loving it. Um, we, uh, I, I pastored in, in Michigan for eight years, but I'm now a church planter in west central Minnesota. And uh, this morning when I woke up, it was negative 25 in my town, and the wind chill was negative 40. 40. And uh, so I am just just delighted. I was going down the road this morning just as the, the rain was starting to turn into snow and ice, and I was just praising the Lord. This is glorious. Amen. All right, the 23rd Psalm, verse number one. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is one of the most recognizable psalms. It is a psalm that is, 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 is engraved on the hearts and in the memories of many individuals One of the reasons for that is because it is a psalm of comfort. This is a psalm that we turn to in difficult times. This is a psalm that, whether you are a religious person or not, when you go to a funeral home, you have the the option to have this psalm uh, uh, put on the order of service and passed out to everyone. This psalm is etched into countless tombstones. This is a psalm that is oftentimes quoted on deathbeds or at the diagnosis of some kind of an illness and the reason is because it is a psalm that promises comfort and the reality of life on planet earth is discomfort. The reality is sometimes we experience pain and difficulty of various kinds and we turn to the word of God for comfort but before the promises of comfort come there is a clarification that is made here in the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. And so it is that this is comfort, but it is comfort for those who can say the Lord is Is my shepherd. And the promises of comfort that follow are for those who can say, I am following God. He is the one that led me to this place, will remain with me in this place, and safely lead me out of this place. And so, because of that, I know that there is comfort. Because of that, I know that there is hope. Because of that, there is light in the darkness and life despite the death. But it's for those who say that the Lord is my shepherd. This is the second in what is often called a trinity or a trilogy of psalms. The 22nd psalm tells us much of the Savior. It starts out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The 22nd psalm is a prophetic psalm, it's also a messianic psalm. This is the psalm that gives us insight into the mind of Christ while he was on the cross. The 23rd psalm introduces us to the shepherd once you know him as savior then you are to know him as the shepherd he has saved you and now he will lead you through life and then the 24th psalm it says the earth is the Lord's that's the way that it starts out and this introduces us to the sovereign and so it is God as king and sovereign overall this is a well-rounded picture of God and his role in the world and the role that he seeks to play in each and every one of our lives. He desires to be our savior and then to be our shepherd and then to be sovereign in our lives over everything that he would rule as king. But when we get to this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, we primarily deal with aspects of the journey, the journey of life, In the way that having a shepherd impacts or changes that journey. Notice what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I'm I'm not just going to teach through the psalm. But there are a couple of things that I want to point out before I get to verse number 4. Or the end of verse 4. Which is where we're going to focus. When it says I shall not want. This is a statement of two kinds. One, it is a statement of of the Shepherd's care that is that he is a good Shepherd we shall not want because the Lord is our Shepherd he is a good Shepherd and as a good Shepherd he is not in the business of losing his sheep as a good Shepherd he is not in the business of allowing his sheep to go without and so whatever it is that his sheep need at that time whether it be rest or whether it be water or pasture in which to graze or companionship, or whether it be that his sheep need some encouragement to press on, though they don't feel like it, he knows what the sheep need. And he will give it to the sheep because he's a good shepherd. And so it's a statement of the shepherd's care. But more so than that, it is a statement of the sheep's contentment. The sheep here is making a statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I choose to be content with that which the shepherd has provided. The shepherd has provided some things for me and I have a wandering eye that occasionally thinks that maybe the grass is greener on the other side. That maybe there is a better way up to the top of this mountain. That maybe right now, rather than graze in this pasture, I would be at the water. But what I choose to rest in is the truth that my shepherd is a good shepherd. And so I choose to be content with that which he has provided. Contentment is not something that comes with circumstance. Contentment is something that comes with spiritual growth. The Apostle Paul said that he had learned in whatsoever state he was, therewith to be content. He had learned it was something that he came to. I'm I'm a young man and I've certainly had my years of angst. And in those years of angsty youth, don't you have a tendency to think that, oh, if just these circumstances were altered slightly, then I would finally be happy. But it never quite comes, does it? No, instead, contentment is found in trusting the shepherd. Contentment is found in saying, you know what? I'm just going to believe that what the shepherd has given me is the best. And that it is what I need. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Notice that the shepherd provides for his sheep along this way. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Look, if you would, at the comfort of all of those who follow the shepherd. It would be as though there are no dark days that are even possible for the sheep that follows the shepherd. But wait, we get to verse number four. Even though he is a good shepherd, we still have verse four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is another promise. This is a promise of difficulty. This is a promise of difficulty that it will not always be still waters and green pastures. The 23rd Psalm is a picture of a shepherd who has his sheep down in, the, down in the meadow, down at the ranch. And the season comes where there's been a melt-off up in the highlands, in the mountains. And that grass that's up in the highlands is a more nutrient-dense grass. And so it's good for the sheep, not only good for their exercise, but also good for their diets and good for their ability to make it through a winter or through a season where the grass is less nutrient-rich, for them to journey from the ranch up into the highlands and gaze on that nutrient-dense grass. But the journey to that place does not come easily. It is a journey. And it does require effort. And it requires some discomfort on the part of the sheep. But it is the shepherd who is leading them to that place. And it is for the good of the sheep and for the benefit, or to, to, to fit with the, the, the picture here, for the glory of the shepherd. That those sheep... Are going to be the best that they can be because they are His. And so He's gonna lead them there. But along the way there's some difficulty. Along the way there is some darkness. Yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil. And yet the sheep need not fear. Why is that? One, it is because of the presence of the Shepherd. Here we have another promise that while, yes, there will be darkness for those who follow the Lord, he will not abandon you. He will remain with you. And despite the difficulty that comes, despite the trial that comes, he will remain with you through it. He who led you into it will lead you out of it. And so it's the presence of the shepherd that is comforting to the sheep. But not only is it the presence of the shepherd It is also the provision of the shepherd. Look at what it says here. It says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And that's what I'd like to focus on here during this Sunday school hour. The rod of the shepherd and the staff of the shepherd. For eight years, I taught through the Psalms every Wednesday night. And uh, in eight years, uh, I got through 42 Psalms and uh, there is so much that's in the Psalms, And, and, and when I got to the 23rd Psalm, and I got to this part here, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, I was struck with the realization that I had never really considered much the rod of the shepherd, or what the use or the purpose of the rod was. i had always kind of Taking it for granted, and in my mind, pictured a staff. And then once I read "staff," also pictured a staff. I just hadn't really considered it much. And so I I, I began to read some different books about shepherding that were were uh, were written, and some some different commentaries on the twenty third Psalm. And what I found out is that the rod of a shepherd is a short stick, you know, somewhere around eighteen inches or so in length. And uh, uh, the shepherd carries that with him everywhere that he goes. The same as he does his staff. And this shepherd's rod is a sign of the shepherd's authority. It's a sign of the shepherd's authority. It is used in instruction. And so it demonstrates his authority over the sheep as he instructs the sheep. If a sheep begins to wander away, the shepherd will take that rod, that round stick, 18 to 24 uh, inches in length, and he'll hit a sheep with it. Now, I'm not talking about abusing a sheep, okay? He'll hit a sheep with it, and what he'll do is he'll get the sheep's attention so that the sheep no longer wanders away. If a sheep will begin to approach danger, you know, the shepherd is aware of some things that the sheep might not be. He's aware of some potholes that are in particular meadows. He's aware of areas where snakes or other predators may lie. And if the sheep begins to approach some danger, the shepherd will use that rod and he'll use it to get the attention of the sheep. If a sheep starts to create a fuss in the flock, this is, this is just, there's so many examples or times in scripture where people are compared to sheep. This is what a sheep do. Sheep are very anxious creatures, just like people, right? Sheep are very anxious creatures. And if a sheep starts to get anxious about something, it starts to get all worked up, what happens is the other sheep that are around it, they don't know why it's getting worked up, but they think something's wrong. And so if this sheep is getting anxious and worked up, well, I'm going to get anxious and worked up too. And so that anxiety and that discontent and that fear starts to spread through the flock. And a sheep that starts to get anxious and worked up, it'll easily create a fuss in the flock. And it's much harder for the shepherd to calm down all of the sheep than it is one sheep. And so he'll use that rod if a sheep starts to get worked up. And he will hit the sheep and get the attention of the sheep. But... I'd like you to consider this. What is the shepherd doing with his rod? In any of these cases, if the sheep is wandering away, if the sheep is approaching danger, if a sheep is getting worked up, this is what he's doing, is he's taking the attention off of the sheep, or he's taking the attention of the sheep off of the thing that it was previously focused on, the danger its fear or its anxiety, the path that it was wandering and he's directing the attention of the sheep back to himself. And in directing the attention of the sheep back to himself, the sheep calms. The sheep no longer wanders away. The sheep follows him. The sheep no longer approaches danger. The sheep stays by him. And so he uses this to get the attention of the sheep onto himself. It gets the sheep's attention, but it also does this, right? It marks the sting of correction. And what I mean by that is it's the shepherd saying, no sheep. No sheep. What I'd like to... I've got a few more examples like this, but I'd I'd like to demonstrate this morning the way in which the word of god is used as the rod of the shepherd in our lives sometimes folks will stray away from their bible and the reason is because it stings because it stings because you'll 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 go to it and you'll be in reading and you'll be in study and you'll be in meditation You'll be doing the things that we've been commanded to do. And the word of God will be taking his word. And this is what Jeremiah 31 talks about, right? As a part of the New Testament, the way that we become more like Christ is as God writes his word upon our hearts. Now, consider if you would, that at one point God took his finger and he wrote his word on tablets of stone, and we can understand that to be a dramatic and a painful process, we stones able to feel. Well, now that we have a heart of flesh, it's God's desire to take his word and to write it upon our hearts that... We would be more like him, that his word wouldn't just be something that we've heard or something that we have intellectual knowledge of, but something that becomes a part of us. And as we yield to it, it changes us to be more like him. Jesus prayed on the, uh, uh, on the cross in John, I'm sorry, before he went to the cross in John 17. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so as God takes his word and writes it upon our hearts, my friend, that can be a little bit of a stinging process. That can be a process that creates a little bit of discomfort sometimes. But it is a process that is necessary. The rod is a sign of the shepherd's authority over the sheep. And so is the word of God. A sign of God's authority over us. The, we're, uh, the, the, the rod here is also a sign of the shepherd's armament. And that what that means is just simply that he uses it as a weapon. The rod is used as a warning to predators. Certain predators that are very large... The shepherd can take that rod and he can throw it a great distance with pinpoint accuracy and hard to strike a predator so that the predator will be frightened away. I uh, read about young shepherd boys uh, in the east who will gather together and they'll have competitions with their rod. They'll, they'll line up and they'll, they'll make little stacks of rocks in the dirt and they'll compete to see who can knock down the stacks of rocks From the furthest distance away and they'll practice with throwing these rods as weapons and become very proficient so proficient that while they can scare away a larger predator they can actually kill a smaller predator like a snake just by throwing the rod it can be thrown with great accuracy at long distances and this is a necessary role for the shepherd to protect the sheep from danger It is also this, it's a sign of the shepherd's affection. And we see this primarily in two ways. You know, one, if a shepherd has a lot of sheep, what he'll do is he'll have his fold, right? And he's moving the sheep from kind of out in a field into the fold. And when it comes to counting the sheep, what is commonly done, is rather than what I would do, which is maybe stand up, and I go, okay, one, two, three, four, five, and then I'd lose count. What he'll do is he'll take that rod, and he'll hold it over the entrance of the fold. And as the sheep pass from the meadow into the fold, and underneath the rod, in his view, he will count the sheep. And he knows how many sheep he has. And so as the sheep passes underneath the rod and into the fold, the sheep is counted. And if he comes up short, he knows how many sheep he needs to go and retrieve and bring back to the fold. In, in, in other words, the rod helps the shepherd to know his sheep and to know the place of his sheep. Something else as well is that when it comes to sheep, uh, one of the primary ways that you can determine The condition of a sheep is by parting its wool and examining its skin and examining what's underneath. And a lot of times if a sheep is having problems, health problems of some kind, it'll appear on the skin in an outward way. It'll have a rash or bumps or something along those lines that will be an indication of the sheep's health, health. But the wool is ordinarily so thick that really they all look the same. And in order to determine its health, you've got to get away from, or you've got to part that which is on the outside. And you've got to examine that which is on the inside. And the shepherd will use that rod in one hand. And he'll lay it on the sheep. And he'll begin to part the wool of the sheep using the rod. Revealing what's underneath and therefore the health of the sheep. This is the shepherd's affection that he knows the condition of his sheep and he knows the location of the sheep. Ways in which this is a picture of the Word of God today. Consider, if you would, how the Word of God communicates the authority of God over us. How do we know that He is the head of the church? Well, because it's here. This this was not the ideas of man. Instead, this was God's ideas. It is here, recorded in this book. How do we know for sure that we are created beings responsible to a creator? Well, first there was the law of nature. Written within every man and then confirmed for us in the Word of God that there wouldn't be any doubt or any question. How do we know what it is that we know about God? It is through His Word. It communicates His authority over us. Also, it is the Word of God that provides instruction for us. For us as His sheep, for us as His church, this book is our sole source for doctrine. If it is worth believing, it is in this book. And if it's not in this book on a doctrinal level, then, my friend, it's not worth believing, let alone teaching and preaching and proselytizing. It's just simply not worth it. The Word of God is sufficient. It is our sole source for doctrine. It is our first source for practice. Meaning that when we say, well, what is it that we ought to do with this or with that? Where ought we to turn first? The word of God and see what it is that that this book uh, says explicitly. And then once we've seen what it says explicitly, if it doesn't say explicitly, we see what it says in principle, and then we go with the principle. This book provides instruction, but it also provides correction. This is a book that teaches conduct for the Christian, and not only does it teach proper conduct but it illuminates improper conduct. It illuminates to us ways that Christians ought not to behave, and its words deter the believer from sin. This is the reason why it is that we are commanded to read and to study and to meditate upon the Word of God, but there's one fourth thing that we're commanded to do in relation to the Word of God, and that is to hide its words within our heart. Why? That we would not, I'm, I'm sorry, I just lost the verse. What's the verse? Uh, 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 somebody help me out here. Uh, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. There we go. We're to hide his word in our heart. This is a book that provides for us correction. But it is also a book that provides protection. Christ used this book as a weapon against Satan. When he was tempted, what did he do? He quoted the word of God. And my friend, if when the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted and He overcame and He battled that temptation with the Word of God, then how is it that you intend to overcome temptation without hiding the Word of God in your heart? This is a book that provides protection. And it is a book that shepherds ought to keep handy. And when I say that, consider this. Consider that a shepherd is a sign and a picture of a leader. We know that the Lord is our shepherd. And we see example of that. We know that pastors are to be shepherds. And we see example of that. But consider, if you would, that as a picture of a leader, so anyone with authority or responsibility over another ought to follow these principles and keep this book handy. As you lead your home and seek to protect your home from sin, you ought to keep this book handy. It provides protection. But as we consider the rod, there's something else that we find about the rod. And it is this, that the power is in the rod. Meaning that the power for authority, the power for armament, the power for correction for instruction for protection all of this power is within the rod not within the shepherd and what I mean by that is this there's a picture of a rod in Exodus chapter number four and it says and thou shalt take this rod in thine hand wherewith thou shalt do signs here we have Moses Lord is speaking to him and he's calling him to go into Egypt And Moses said, well, they're not going to believe me. And God says, thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. And so through the rod that I'm empowering and giving to you now, you're going to go into Egypt and perform signs, and those signs will be as evidence that you are a messenger from me, much the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ came with signs and wonders, and the apostles after Jesus. Exodus 4.20 And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Here, the rod demonstrated the power of God. It was not the power of Moses that turned water into blood. It was not the power of Moses that was uh, uh, demonstrated through the plagues. But instead... It was the power of God. And it was this rod that marked and communicated Moses as one that carried God's message, not the message of Moses. And so as we consider the word of God as a picture of the rod of the, stepper, uh, of the shepherd, and so we, as, as emissaries as ambassadors in this world for the Lord, we're not communicating our message. This is not our agenda. These are not our ideas. But instead, this is information from God Almighty. And the power under which we preach the power under which we we baptize and add to the church the power under which we see souls saved it is not our own power it is the power of god through his holy spirit this is not about us but it is about god however moses on one occasion he misused the rod and he was punished see the rod's a powerful thing and we have to be careful not to misuse it. Moses, in this case in particular, what Moses did was he used the rod of God to express his anger. What he was told to do was to strike the rock, so he struck the rock. And it comes around a second time, he's supposed to speak to the rock. What does he do? He strikes it twice. Well, this is not what he was supposed to uh, do. There's a picture that was being demonstrated here in striking the rock once. There was doctrine that was being communicated. And it was this, that the rock of our salvation need only be struck once. And in being struck once, out of the rock flows living water. This was the picture that was coming. You know, the whole book's about Jesus and it's all foreshadowings and types of of Christ. And so here we have a picture of what is to come in the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation being struck once. Moses is angry with the people and how stiff-necked they are. So rather than going and striking the rock once in accordance with sound doctrine, instead he strikes the rock twice in anger this is not what he was commanded to do. And in misusing the rod, what did he do? He endangered sound doctrine. He did so in anger because he had a message that he wanted to communicate, but it wasn't the message that God had. What I'm saying is this is that the rod of the shepherd here, it is also referred to in scriptures as what? A sword. It is a sharp and precise instrument. It is not a blunt object with which we are just simply supposed to deal out damage and hurt towards those with whom we desire to see damaged and hurt. This is not the intention of this tool. The Scriptures here represent the voice of the living God today it communicates his will for the lost and saved it communicates the purpose and plan of the body of Christ and it is the source and power of source of power and presence in our lives these three things characterize the comfort you say why is it that the rod of the shepherd would be a comfort to me in the difficult times of life because my friend this is one of the main sources of God's power and presence in our lives because this communicates to us His truth. It communicates to us His affection. It communicates to us His authority and the other promises that relate to the various seasons of our lives. And so I would ask you this, and if you find yourself in one of these seasons of, of difficulty, in one of these seasons of trial, Turn to the Word of God for comfort. Turn to the Word of God for help. The Lord will use this book in your life in a mighty way, my friend. What we see here is that there's other provision that is made. It's the rod that pictures the the Word of God. But it is the shepherd's staff that identifies the Holy Spirit. The staff of the shepherd so clearly identifies the Holy Spirit in that it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that identifies somebody who's on a journey, on the Christian journey. Romans 8, 9 says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And what do we see so often in scripture? Those uh, setting out on a journey, what is it that they take with them? They take a staff. It is the Holy Spirit that makes someone prepared for that journey. John 16:13 says, "Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth; for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak; and he will shew you things to come." It is also the Holy Spirit that expresses the affection of the good shepherd. John 14, 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Here Jesus is thinking specifically about the difficulty that lies ahead for his followers, and he says, hey, another one is going to come, and he's going to be a comforter, because there's going to be some times where you need comforted. My friend, God has not left you powerless. God has not left you, and he has not left you without provision. We have his word, and we have his Holy Spirit with us in the difficulty. You're following the shepherd, you're a sheep, and he's leading you on a journey. And maybe you're in a season of darkness, but it is just that. It's a season. It will end It will pass, and he's with you in it. He'll lead you out of it. But in the meantime, in the meantime, comfort yourself with the provisions that he has given. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this Sunday school hour and the time that we have together. I pray, dear Lord, that you prepare our hearts for the morning service. Thank you so much for this time and for this day dedicated to you. In Jesus' name, amen. with our heads bowed. This is an opportunity for you to respond. That was a good message for 2022. Perfect message to start off the year.